Good morning. Good morning. All right. I think I have, since we moved the speakers up, now you guys are in the splash zone. So I'm really close here and I could get you there. Okay. All right. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Father in heaven, we are astonished as even as we are singing those Christmas songs, and if we know the theology that is in it, our hearts are melted. Born with man, with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. What kind of love is this? That the Christ would come knowing, full knowing he would die. And he came in weak flesh, Sinless, pure, and he clothed himself with humanity. Hail the incarnate deity. Nothing can thwart your will, God. Nothing can stop you from saving man from his sins. It's astonishing. It causes us to explode with joy. And we just pray, Father, that even this time as we are in your word, we pray, Father, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, that you would be praised. We pray that Christ would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 With what is happening in the news, there's always this talk about, well, it there's always this talk about what do you believe? What are your religions that you believe? What are the values? What are the world philosophies that you believe? If you are to go ahead and boil it down, boil it down, well, what is Christianity? Christianity in and of itself, the reason why Christ is the only way to God the Father, the only way, and this is why we talk about that Christ is the narrow way, he is the exclusive way, right? The reason why we talk about this is because there is payment of sin. Payment of sin. No other religion has payment of sin. If you notice in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm just going to read Ephesians chapter 1. If you recall, our first section as we were working through this text, we notice from verses 3 all the way to 14, the first section, 3 to 6, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul is explaining to the church, he wants the church to live richly. He doesn't want them to live like paupers. He wants them to be full of Christ, full of Jesus, full of joy, full of the knowledge that he is sufficient for all these things. And so what he says is, I want you to know what the triune Godhead has done for you in salvation. And so he starts out, verses 3 to 6, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks about how God the Father has elected you, if you know the Lord Jesus, has elected you before the foundation of the world. Secondly, he says, and this is our next section, he says, uh, verse 7 all the way to 12, you'll see here, in him we have redemption through his blood. Obviously, he's talking about Christ. 
and all the way to 12, to the end that we were the first to hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. So the second section is about Christ. And then this third section here, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, verse 13, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then he finishes out, verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So if you remember from last week, what Paul is doing by the Holy Spirit and what he would have you here this morning is the richness of your Christian life. The richness that you would be so overwhelmed with what God has done in Christ Jesus for you that nothing else would grip your heart. Of the greatness, of the grandeur, of the riches of what God has done. Notice he says here, so if we remember the first section is, as a review, praise the Father for his plan of salvation. That is verses 3 to 6. Praise the Father for his plan of salvation. But the second part of this is praise the Son for his payment of salvation. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Praise the Son for his payment of salvation. In other words, God gave this passage to you this morning so that you would glorify the Son for his costly payment of salvation. God gave this message to you this morning so that you would glorify the Son for his costly payment of salvation. And let's try and unfold this. There are three blessings you should praise Christ for. Three blessings in this text. Verses 7 to 12. Three blessings in this text that you should praise Christ for because of his costly payment. The first one is the price he paid for you. Okay? And we want to sit here for uh sit here and dwell and meditate on the price that God in Christ Jesus paid for you. Notice, uh, do we have you guys have notes? Most of you have notes. Some of you have electronics. Some of you have paper. Are we good? Everyone okay? All right. Notice, what, why do we dwell on this? He says here, there are three sections, and I want you to see the three sections, and this is how you look at Scripture. This is how you know what it's about, okay? The first section is seen, the heart of verse 7 is, we have redemption. You see there? We have redemption. And everything else modifies that phrase, we have redemption, okay? The second one is, in verse 9, he made known to us. He made known to us. And then the last one in verse uh, twelve, uh, verse 11 is, we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance. And that's how I get my points, okay? We pull it right from the scripture. The whole text is about the payment that Christ has paid and how he has, uh, how he has purchased your salvation. And then he's going to talk about what these payments, this payment means for the believer. First, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The emphasis here, what, he's what he is saying by the Holy Spirit is, it's the highest price. It's the highest price. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. 
The word there, redemption, is a very common market term. It's uh, a term, lutrosis means payment, and apa means in, in payment of, apalutrosis. It means the release. It means the deliverance. It means the acquittal. It means the liberation. It means this, and here's the market term. It is the redemption by payment of a ransom. Okay? So what in during the New Testament times, as Paul is writing to the Ephesians, he says, Christ is the redemption. And so when they hear that word, it's very clear to them what it means. Okay? The only time we think of redemption is if you're trying to redeem tickets at Chuck E. Cheese or something like that, right? Or you turn in your cans for redemption. It says there, redemption, five cents, right? Because the redemption value of the can is five cents when you turn it in. What this redemption mean is, yes, it's the payment, but it was often meant for when uh, you have a friend or a relative or a loved one who is enslaved. At that time, there was about six million slaves in the New Testament time, in the Roman Empire. And so Paul is writing, using their language that they're already talking about, and he says that Jesus is the redemption. And so everyone clicks in their mind. What does that mean? I know that redemption means that when someone is on the slave block, when someone is being sold, they pay the redemption for their freedom. In other words... Christ, as if we were enslaved, and we were enslaved in our sins, Romans chapter 6, we were tied in our sins, we could not get out. What God is saying is, you are on the slave block of sin. I paid for your liberty, and I paid with the highest price. I didn't pay with silver or with gold. I paid with the blood of my own son for you. He says here, in him we have redemption through his blood. Now we got to take a look at that. What does that blood mean? Was it a magical blood? Was it a hocus pocus kind of blood? No, it was a regular human blood, okay? That Jesus himself had in his corporeal body, right? But the word blood signifies many things, okay? Do you remember we were talking about how do you define a word in Scripture? You define it by its context. And here, when Paul says the word blood, what he means is everything that Christ has done in his suffering. It is code word. Do you understand? When he says blood, it's not just what is coursing through his veins. When he says blood, it is all that he suffered. It is, it is a word that describes the violence of his death and his atoning significance. So when you say we come by the blood, we are saying that we come by the violent, gory, twisted death of Christ himself, right? In the Old Testament, Animals were symbolic substitutes for sin. And we know that through Hebrews chapter 10, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But this blood signifies the suffering. We know this. In um, Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter himself, he uses this terminology. 
he uses this terminology as well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, notice he says here in verse 18, and Peter is going to expand on what is this redemption, okay? What is this redemption? And he says here in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, knowing that you were not redeemed, he uses that same word, you were not paid for. You were not bought with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. He says, there is nothing that purchased you that came from this earth. He said, but with precious blood, and here it is, and he's, notice he says precious blood, and he defines and he describes what he means by blood. It's not simply just the, the liters of liquid inside of someone's body. He says here, it is of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. So if you turn back to Ephesians chapter 1, what Paul is saying is that he paid the highest price for you. It's not like, you know, you have right now, everyone's having these office parties, okay? And you're going to go into these office parties. And you're hoping the office parties is only like $10 or something, right? For the gifts exchange, right? Hoping it's only $10 or hoping it's only five. Because why? Because it's an office party. And I'm just going to get this gift and just, you know, get it over with, right? But see, that's not how God is with you. Do you understand? He gave his very best. When he gave his son... He gave his very best. There is no other price more than that. He paid the highest price. In fact, this price will be celebrated, worshipped, exalted forever and ever that God gave his very best to save rebel sinners like you and me. I'm just going to read this and you could just listen. Notice he says here in Revelation 5, he says, the 24 elders fell down around the lamb, having one harp, golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. In verse 9, and they sang a new song, saying, that means they kept singing it. It was in an imperfect tense. They just kept singing it. Worthy art thou to take the book, to break its seals. And then it says in verse Revelation chapter 5, for thou was slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Notice he says here, the blood is celebrated for all of eternity. So the price he paid, it's the highest price. Secondly, it's the effectual price. It's the effectual price. Notice it says here, the forgiveness of our, trans of our trespasses. He says here, look in the verse, he says, Ephesians chapter 1, in him we have redemption through his blood. And then he says this phrase, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And the way he says it, notice he doesn't say and or 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 namely or if or that. What he's saying is this, 
redemption here is accomplish, accomplishes what? The forgiveness of sins. And so Paul doesn't just keep going. He doesn't say there's a redemption. And now I'm just going to keep moving on into my theology. He stops in worship. He stops in glory. He stops at what the Son of Man accomplished. And he says here, the forgiveness of sins. And I think we need to pause here. Because I think sometimes we go through in our lives a little bit too fast. And we have so many things to do. And sometimes we think about, you know, oh, maybe I got to get the music ready. Or I got to get the chairs ready. Or I got to get ready for Bible study. I've got to rush here and rush there. I got to get the refreshments ready. I got to get the checklist ready. And we get all these things. You need to stop. Stop, brothers and sisters, and meditate on this truth. That the Son of Man was born in a manger as we were celebrating. He came in the flesh for the express purpose to bleed for you. Thus giving you what? Forgiveness of sins. We have to celebrate in that. If this is old hat, and if this is something, yeah, 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 okay, 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 yeah, I hear it, I hear it. And it's not rich to you, there's something wrong. This is this what ought to make your heart sing, right? He says here, um, the word there for forgiveness simply means ascending away, okay? Sending away, remission, a release, a cancellation. But it has this meaning of sending away. And the way that the sentence is constructed is it's showing that the redemption was accomplished by this. I mean, the sending away was accomplished by this redemption. He says it in many other places. I'm just going to say here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, he says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says it exactly like he did it in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, he says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Jesus himself says, I am pouring out my life. I will die this violent death for you. And I do this so that you will be forgiven. Hebrews chapter 9 says, all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So what does this mean? Well, Jesus says this, okay? That the, even in the term forgiveness, the word forgiveness means to take it away, okay? To take it away. Now, uh, I remember when we were going through some training with our kids, I'd say, uh, I'd say, uh, son, would you uh, take out the trash? Please take out the trash. And as he was learning, he would tie it up and leave it in the kitchen, okay? And I said, no. Take out the trash. Well, I took it out of the can. I took it out. And I put it on the kitchen floor. I took it out, Dad. And I go, oh, I'm not being clear. What I meant is take it away. Do you understand? Here's what's the glorious thing about it. In this word, forgiveness, okay, Jesus doesn't just put the sin upon him. takes it away. It's not like trash where I have to walk around. You know, like sometimes when you have a Christmas party and you're not there and, and it's just piling and piling and 
You're just kind of walking around it. And it's all gathered. Okay, that's fine. The trash is there gathered. No, I don't want it near me. Why? Because it accuses me. Because it reminds me. Because it handicaps me. Because it enslaves me. Because it pulls me down. I don't want it here. And Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. Your trespasses, the word there for trespasses, means um, uh, any iniquity or any form uh, that is outside of the law of God. He says, I take all of it. Away. Into the flesh. And I glory, right? Because I don't have to see it anymore. Go to Colossians. I want to. I want you to show. Uh, I want to show you a parallel verse in Colossians. Notice he says in verse 13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Again, he says, in whom we have redemption. And then he uses this construct again, the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And in Paul's mind, he can't get over that. Do you understand? Every time he talks about the blood, the payment, he goes, I've been forgiven. That's what Christ did. I know what this means. Blood paid means I'm forgiven. And then he talks about, notice he says here, uh, where do I want to look here? In, uh, in verse, you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, verse 21. Verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. And notice he says here in Colossians uh, chapter 2, In verse 13, notice he says, You were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him, having, notice, verse 13. He forgave us what? It says, what does it say? Having forgiven us some of our transgressions. Most of your transgressions, right? Your past transgressions. What God is saying to you is that all of it has been wiped away. Why? Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which is hostile to us, he took it out of the way, having it nailed to the cross. Brothers and sisters, as you celebrate Christmas, remember that it wasn't just that Christ came as a baby. That's not the end of the story. He was called to come. He was called to grow. He was called to die a bloody and violent death to buy you and to forgive you. This is precisely why no other religion or philosophy or worldview will save you because there is no blood. There is no blood worthy to pay. There is no sacrifice high enough to give. There is no atonement, which, is, which means there is no forgiveness. Now, Christian, why are you so sad at times? Looking at yourself so much. Don't you know, brothers and sisters, that your sins are as far as the east is from the west? He forgave you. Remember what Micah says? He will have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. 
Yes, he will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Notice, it's not just the highest price as we're talking about the price. It's not just the effectual price. That's what he paid and that's what it accomplished, but it's the fitting price. It's the fitting price. He says, notice back in Ephesians chapter 1, go back to Ephesians chapter 1. It's the fitting price. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his trespasses. Then it says, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And this is interesting because he says, I gave, this is basically what he's saying. God is saying this, I gave according to my riches. Okay. According to, which means in, um, in with, with respect to, tied to, connected to. Okay. So if I were, if, if you were to ask me, Angelo, can you give to my son's baseball team? We need new uniforms. I would give according to what Angelo has. Do you understand? Angelo might have five bucks, so I might part with two, okay? Do you understand? Okay? I'm giving you according to what Angelo gives. Do you understand? Now, if, if I needed, if we had a, a, a baseball team in Fremont or, or somewhere like that, and I went up to Mike Zuckerberg. You guys know who that is? Okay. Facebook, okay? Mark Zuckerberg, okay? And I went up to him, and I, and I asked him, can you give a donation to our Little League? And he gave $5. I would say, oh, no, 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 no. You need to give, what? A little bit more. Why? Because I know what? I know his pockets are deep. Understand? You understand? He did not give according to what Mark Zuckerberg has. Right? I want him to give according to his riches. Do you understand? Okay. What God has said, okay, that uh, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the universe. He owns every soul. He owns all that is on the earth, in the earth, on the earth, over the earth, through the heavens, in the universe. And he says, I give you according to my riches. In other words, I am not stingy with you, saint. I will not hold back on you, saint. I will give my very best. In fact, I am going to lather it. I'm going to give you according to my riches, who's the richest one in the whole universe is God. He owns everything. You think you own it? No, he owns your wallet. He owns you. He owns this whole universe. He owns all the property up and down San Diego, right? Even the coastal areas. He owns it all. And what God is saying is, when I give, I give according to what I have. And what I have, I give you my best. He's not stingy. Right? The riches of his grace. And then he puts this other word on there. He says, I lavish it upon you. Isn't that a wonderful word? This is what God does. And he says this, notice. He says in Ephesians 
Notice, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. We know we don't deserve it, which he lavished on us. Okay, so he, he says, according to the riches of his grace, and then he adds this word, lavish. I like that word. Lavish. It means to abound. It means to be rich. It means to be in abundance, to exceed, to surpass, to be in excess, to have more than enough, to cause, to increase, to grant richly. It's used in the feeding of the 5,000 when all ate and were satisfied and there was left over. It's used to describe how a Christian service could be, should be to God. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, you could say, always lavishing in the work of the Lord. Okay? Not just giving a little bit of yourself, but lavishing it out. It's used for the sufferings of Christ, right? But what God would have you know and have you, have you internalize is that what God did on the cross by sending his son is it cost him greatly. And he gave all to win sinners. So glorify the son for his payment. Why? Because of the costly price he paid for you. Second, because of the plan he revealed to you. Notice he says here, he reveals a plan. Okay? Not only does he pay the price, but he lets you know. He's not like an uncle, you know, when you're growing up and an uncle pays for everybody in the restaurant and you don't know who paid for it, you just eat and enjoy. Right, and you go home and you're fine. He's not like that. He's telling you, I paid for this, and I want to let you know the riches that you have in me. The plan he revealed to you, in all wisdom and insight, he made known to us. Notice he says here, let's, let's discuss. He says here in verse 1, he made known to us the mystery of his will. In other words, that which we did not know before allowed us to understand. He revealed it to us. Now, what about this revelation? How does this help us? Notice he says this, in all wisdom and insight. Before he starts out discussing about what this, what this revelation does, he says, in all wisdom and insight. In other words, this is the practicality of this revelation. Okay, The practicality of this revelation. What God is saying is this. He says this, God gives you all that you need. All that is necessary to live in this time and space based on what Christ has already done. He's saying that the cross is absolutely practical for life. For everything you need, the cross is absolutely sufficient. It allows you to live. It allows you to get back up. It calms your fears. It emboldens you when you're scared. Why? Because I know that God is for me. Who can be against me? He says this is in all wisdom and insight. This is practical for you. You know, there's a lot of people who say, well, theology is not practical. You know, I just, just give me practical steps. Theology is not practical. Paul is saying here, by the power of the Spirit, he says, no. The more you know the glories of Christ, the more you know the glories of the cross and what he's done and how that feeds into your life and its implications. 
how I live as a mother, how I serve as a father, how I love as a wife, how I love as a husband, how I obey as a, a young person, how I serve even in my, in my last years, how I do all those things. It's all fed and all directed and all has its implication in all of life through the cross. He gives you all that you need, all that is necessary to live in this time and space based on what Christ has already done. The study of the cross is immensely practical. This is not wisdom found by human effort. It's simply and graciously given. Now, there's practicality of revelation, but there's also the privilege of revelation. Notice he says here, he made known to us the mystery of his will. Now, the mystery here, the mystery here as he's describing it is simply that which has not been revealed is now being revealed. And the word here for mystery doesn't mean like what we see here. You know, sometimes you might see on TV, here's a mystery. Who, who murdered that person? Okay. And you have to try and figure out who murdered that person. That's not the way the word here is being used, mystery. In the New Testament, the word mystery is described this way. That which has not been revealed is now being declared and openly discussed and openly revealed to you now. So the word mystery here is uh, the word here is the mystery of the cross that sal- you could earn you could have salvation through Jesus Christ it cannot be known by human wisdom and he says that he does this according to his kind intention which he purposed in him the word there for kind intention is his goodwill his favor his good pleasure now here's here's where the crux of it all well, what's, we know that there's the practicality of revelation, the privilege of revelation, which is the mystery of his will, the motive of revelation, which is his kind intention. But what's the point? What's the point? Why do you even let us know? Now, let's read this phrase together. It says here, and then we're going to try and unpack this, okay? With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, and things upon earth. So let's take a look here. The word there, administration, is how God has ordered it, okay? It's a common word used for the ordering of your house, right? Or the ordering of a job, or the ordering of a business. This is the way God has ordered it, okay? He wants you to know how the transaction took place. He wants you to know that blood, that God sent Jesus, blood was spilt on the cross, blood was uh, paid for, paid for the sins of man, and that in him we could be forgiven. And you notice it says here, the summing up, the summing up. So it says here, he had, he ordered us suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heaven and things of the earth. This means to sum up or recapitulate. In other words, all the things that he has done points to, has its totality in Jesus Christ. One commentator said it like this, okay? The summing up of all things in Christ means the unifying of the cosmos or its direction toward a common goal. Or God achieves his purpose for all things 
through what he accomplishes in the one person. Let me break that down, okay? What he says is all of history, all of events, both big in, in the world, both small, all that has happened, all that will ever happen, all are screaming and roaring toward one goal, and that is what? To bring glory to Christ. He is summing up all of history in his person. How does that, what does that mean? It means that there is absolute security for the Christian, brothers and sisters. There's absolute security for you. Why? Because I know where history is headed. I know why. Because God let you in on it. He let you in on the plan. He revealed his mystery. He has given you light. He has given you illumination to understand biblical truth. And now you understand what the universe is going towards. Why people are in sin. Why people get saved. What what is causing these things in this world and in the news? What is happening? It seems like it's chaos, doesn't it? I watch the news and I see what's happening. And I looked at what happened in San Bernardino. And then you watch the news, and even a few months before, you saw what happened in France. And then you watch the news before, and you just keep going. You can just follow along. And you say, there is, just seems like it's chaotic. Nothing is happening. It seems like no one is in control. Isn't that right? Don't you feel that? Don't you see that? Don't you see that's the air that we breathe? And yet God says, no, no, I'm doing all of this for a purpose. And it's all, I am weaving all of history. I'm controlling it. I'm orchestrating it. I am summing it all up in Christ. And that's how I see history. And that's how I see my place in this world. My little place in this world. And that's how you should see your place in this world. How? That Christ should receive all glory. That's where all history is going anyways. All the, uh, uh, everyone, every knee, uh, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord. They will all confess that. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that's where it's going, right? So what do I need to do? I need to align myself with the truth that everything is for the glory of Christ. That is the truth that runs through Scripture. And so I need to align my mind, my heart, and my body, my choices, my plans, and my purposes, and my jobs, and my families, and my hobbies, and my kids, and my wife, or my husband. I have to align all of that with what? The great purpose in the whole universe, which is the summing up of all things in Christ, which is to bring Christ's glory. Because when you do not do that, brothers and sisters, you're militating against the very reason why God does anything. He does it for His glory. Think about this, okay? There is not one iota, not one molecule, not one event that is outside the scope of God's redemptive purpose. 
understand that. Every molecule, every fiber, every person, every event is headed to the redemptive purpose of Christ, either, either by salvation or by judgment. So when you feel like you're in a losing battle with this world, the news can get you down. When time and history seems to be chaos rather than order, know that it will all fit in God's redemptive purpose in Christ Jesus and that all history is to point and glorify him. Let us align our hearts, our bodies, our lives with the very purpose to which the universe exists, that is to bring glory to Christ. Thirdly, thirdly, glorify the Son for his payment. Why? First, because of the costly price he paid for you. Second, because of the plan he revealed to you. And thirdly, because of the future he secured for you. Because of the future he secured for you. You notice he says here, we have obtained an inheritance. And he says this, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we are the first to hope in Christ should be the praise of his glory. And I'm just going to briefly go through this as we're running out of time. But notice, your inheritance is possessed, past tense. We have obtained an inheritance. When Jesus Christ paid the penalty, he not only saved you from your sin, not only gave you forgiveness, but he has granted you an inheritance as a son, as a daughter of God himself. And this inheritance cannot be defiled. It cannot go away. It is being protected. And what this means is all that Christ is belongs to you. Is that amazing? You belong to him. He belongs to you. Christ is all and in all. And because of that, because Christ, I have all of Christ, you have all. That's your inheritance, brothers and sisters. Christ himself. Your inheritance was planned. Notice it says, having been predestined according to his purpose. There was a decisive resolve. Your inheritance is also realized. Your inheritance is also realized. He works all things after the counsel of his will. You notice he says there, he plans what he desires and he finally finishes it. He says here, notice, um, who works all things after the counsel of his will. That word there for works means to energize, to actualize. In other words, here is God's plan. He sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. He has given you forgiveness of sins. He's given you inheritance. And he says, and he works it according to his will. In other words, he has decided that this would happen. He has decided to set his affection on you. And he says, I'm going to work my will. What does that mean? It means there is nothing that's going to stop me from saving people from their sins. You see, this amazing confidence that we have. There is nothing that's going to stop Christ. And this is why... I, this is why, by God's grace, I have confidence. Why? Because God is doing this. Do you understand? I know that God is going to bring people. I know that God is going to save people. I know that God is going to change people. Why? Because he works it according to his purpose. And no one can stop God. And that's why I was a little bit tearing up today when we are singing that song, Our God, right? Uh, or that, what's up? There's a portion where it says unshakable, right? 
what is it? Unstoppable. What's the last one? Did I mess up? Unchangeable, unshakable, unstoppable. That's who you are. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there realizing this truth. This is what's coming out of the text. He says he works all things after the counsel of his will. He says there is nothing in the universe that occurs outside of my predetermined will. I have ordered it. I have either directly ordered it or I've indirectly have allowed it to happen. And what he says is there is nothing that is going to happen that is outside of the will of God. I work all things in the counsel of his will. In other words, his salvation plan through Jesus Christ cannot be thwarted. That's why they can't stop. That's why the church has never died. Because Jesus himself says, I will build my church. Even if there's been heretics and hypocrites even in the church, uh, God has cleaned house and he still will go after sinners. And there will still be believers. There will still be believers in all parts of the world. And that's why he still keeps going. Brothers and sisters, I want to be part of that. Do you want to be part of that? You want to join with this will that God is doing himself. This is what, what is God, you think about it. What is he doing? What's on his mind? This is on his mind. The glorification of Christ and the saving of people. That's what's on his mind. And no one could stop him. See, that's what gives me confidence. It should give you confidence when you share the gospel. It should give you confidence when you reach out to your coworker. It should give you confidence when you reach out to your loved one. Why? Because I know that God is bringing out a people. To the end, he says, your inheritance is possessed, it's planned, it's realized, but your inheritance has purpose. And we talked about this purpose. It continues on, and it always continues on. It says, to the end, we who are the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Again, so that Christ would receive glory. Now, let's, let's just uh, review this before we end. Before we end, I just want to just think about this. Okay? God has paid the highest price. Jesus paid willingly for you. He died through his blood, which means the violent death for you. Jesus paid a violent death so that you can be saved and have forgiveness of sins. And if you trust in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, the Bible says you will have forgiveness of sins. This is not some religion. This is not some made-up story. This is not some panacea or some kind of pill that we're giving. This is what the Bible says. And if you turn to Christ and trust in him for salvation, he will save you. He will save you. So. Christ paid a great price. He revealed the meaning of the price. And he promises a future with the price. All to the praise of his glory. Let me pray. Father, I just want to lift up this time. Thank you that you were not stingy but that you lavished us with your grace. 
you cause us to see who you are. Oh Lord, even in this Christmas time, may we not be caught up with just gifts, but Father, the greatest gift, which was your Son, whom you lavished upon us. Oh, we celebrate that. God, how could you come into a manger? How could you put on flesh? Humble yourself and die on the cross for our sins. We celebrate and we praise you and we thank you for your kindness and your love. Help us to sing. Help us to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.